I am Tova Cito. I believe our lives should be happy, healthy, and abundant. And I believe it's our job to get us there. Every week, I will have inspiring, educational, and fun conversations that will help you live your very best life. Welcome to The Remedy. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of The Remedy. I think that's what Tova says. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the very next episode. Oh, yeah, the, of the very Remedy next. <laughs> I have it memorized. We're so happy to have you, and Tova is not here, so I hope you all don't click me off. Me, yeah. You <laughs> got, you got us gonna, today. <laughs> yeah, you're going to wing us. This is my uh, virgin episode, although, I, no, that didn't sound right. I am not claiming virgin, to no be Tova episode, a virgin. But mine too. <laughs> so we are going to spend our time with you guys today and talk a little bit about ourselves so that you can get to know us a little better. Um, I know you've had Kevin in your lives longer than you've had me in your life lives, and so I thought it would be fun for you guys to get a little bit of background on me and... Kevin's going to ask me questions, and then we're going to ask Kevin. I'm going to ask Kevin some questions and have him tell us his deepest, darkest <laughs> secrets because everybody well, yeah. wants to know. <laughs> I'm an open book, though. So, yeah, me too. Me too. Well, I guess I will just get started. Do you think, Kevin? Yeah, let's get into it. Unless uh, you have anything, any other news or something you want to catch up on? Anything else uh, going on? Not really. I have him sitting here with Kevin with a black eye. Yeah. Oh, see, there you go. You should probably <laughs> mention that. Even though we're not on video this week, still mention yeah, it. Yeah, it is really a big shiner. It is. It's an impressive shiner. <laughs> it You're- is. I was in Florida with my uh, oldest and youngest daughter and their five children. And uh, my daughter and I, Blair, my youngest daughter and I were walking on Saturday morning and my shoe got hung in my pants. I had on kind of baggy sweatpants and my shoe got caught in it and I face planted unbelievably broke my sunglasses, which was one my biggest concern. My cut my eye, my arms, my my palms of my hands, but I was just really excited that I didn't break my wrist. Okay, big question. So, Are you gonna be able to replace the glasses? Are they ones that are real that they don't make anymore or something? No, or? I could probably replace them, but I went to North Park actually today and went to a couple of uh, optical places and asked if they could fix them, and they said no. So I think I'm going to send them off to the company from whom I bought them. They're new, and they're really cool. They'll probably so, send you a new pair. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe if I send them a picture of me with my black eye, they'll feel yeah, sorry for maybe. me. Every day to, when I was in North Park, too, because I had my mask on, but my eye is like, purple all around it and my even the top of my cheek and people really stared at me that's what i was gonna ask because if you're weird going out you feel like everyone's looking at you i wonder what happened to her yeah yeah i think they're probably thinking oh that poor girl everyone assumes you got punched <laughs> uh-huh and she stayed did she stay or did she go mm-hmm. yeah so that she's gonna say she fell down the stairs or yeah hit it she, on the corner of a yeah table yeah, or, something, or she or, tripped yeah yeah exactly which really is true i really did trip <laughs> yeah well, so uh, I guess I'll just get started. What yeah, do you let's think? do it. Okay. Um, uh, I don't know if a lot of you are aware. I don't know how much of this is going to be repetitive for you. So if it is, then I apologize. I grew up in Brown, 
Field, Texas, which is a little town about 30 miles outside of Lubbock. And my father owned the newspaper there. And when I was in fifth grade, we he sold the newspaper and we moved to Lubbock. So I spent the rest of my uh, educational years uh, there and living at home and my with my sister. And my father was a stockbroker. My mother was a stay-at-home mom. And they were very much in love and had a really, really strong relationship. We, uh, They were very, very, very religious. We went to the First Baptist Church in Lubbock, which is, by the way, the second largest Baptist church in the world in that from Lubbock. And um, it was a, I mean, it was a great church. My father was a deacon for a while. Actually, I think he was a deacon in Lubbock. I mean, in Brownfield, but then in Lubbock, he wasn't. But it was a very fundamental kind of evangelical Baptist church. And we went to church five hours on Sunday, Sunday school, church, and then choir practice, training union, and then night church. And whenever there was a revival, we had church like every day, every week. I mean, every Man. day during the week. And I thought my Catholic like regimen was oh, yeah. strict. It was really strict. But I was really involved in the church. My parents were very involved in the church. And um, then I mar- ended up marrying my high school sweetheart. He went to another high school in Lubbock. And I met him at the Char King Drive-In. And he was, I thought he was really cute. And he, um, he actually kind of had a reputation of being somewhat thuggish. From another part of town. Thuggish, like a bad boy reputation? Yeah. And I was so attracted to that. (laughs) I thought it was, and it was, it was a lot more fun than the Sunday school and the training unit and all of those. Definitely. Vacation Bible school boys. And um, and the squares. That's right. That's right. But my, uh, his parents or his mom, his dad died when he was 12 and his mom had remarried and they were very, very kind, and we had a lot of fun with his family, and then he and I got married. He graduated from—we both went to Texas Tech. He graduated um, a semester before I did, and then we got married and moved to Dallas. Um, Why'd you move to Dallas? Well, he took a job with the First National Bank in Dallas. I don't think that, I don't think that bank exists anymore, but it was a big, big bank. It was big like Republic Bank was. They were kind of the two largest banks. And he went to work in their training program. And so we moved to Dallas, and it was I was so excited about it. We actually lived in the Village Apartments over on Southwestern. Sure. And, yeah, Northwest Highway. So it was really fun. We had three daughters, uh, Bren, Wesley, and Blair. And when Blair was like three years old, we moved to Chicago. He got... Um, Oh, well, before then, one day he came home from the bank and he said, I'm going to change jobs. And I said, okay, what are you going to do? He said, I'm going to be an investment banker. And I was like, okay, cool. What's that? And he told me what it was. And he knocked on some doors and got an offer from two of them. And so he took one of the offers and we moved to Chicago and had a great time. We lived in the city while we redid our house out on the North Shore and really, really, really Loved that city. And and that's a very prestigious position within the banking profession, right? It is, in the investment. So it's kind of, they do uh, institutional investing. And so, but it is, he was with one of the most prestigious firms in the country. And it was really interesting because he just knocked on the door and he really sold himself. 
he had he had started working when he was like in seventh grade. He worked at a theater and worked himself all the way through college. But he he sold prearranged funeral needs door to door, cold calling on that to make enough money to go to college. So he was quite a salesman. Or That's not one I usually hear about uh, people selling door to door. No, I don't it's think they like do that anymore. It's not like vacuums, you know? <laughs> yeah, I don't think they do that anymore. No, I don't think so either. No, he had this photograph of this woman and her children standing by an open grave, and they were all crying, and he would, uh, they had opened the door and he'd said, do you don't want to leave your family like this? Let me help you prearrange your funeral Go needs. straight for the feels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he was really, really good at that, and... Um, we lived in Chicago for three years, and then we moved back to Dallas. He changed firms, and we moved back to Dallas. And during that time, um, I became very involved in some uh, fundamental Bible study groups, which reinforced, reinforced a lot of my religious beliefs from childhood. And what I heard during that time was that God pretty much was a rigid taskmaster with lots of do's and don'ts, and if you do it wrong, you're going to burn in hell, and if you do it right, you'll go to heaven, and all sorts of things like that that was very black or white, good, bad, right, sure. wrong. And, um, and I thought that if people did not believe as I believed, that they would spend eternity in hell. I, I really did believe that. We have a lot of similarities there. Yes, <laughs> because t- so talk about that, Kevin. I'd love to hear about your religious be- exposure when you were growing up. Um, yeah, I mean, very similar. I was raised, uh, which I think is so strange, not, not to say anything disparaging about the Catholic religion. You know, it just turned out not really to be uh, for me. But it is one of those things where it's very black and white telling you kind of how you should live your life, you know, right? how to be a good person as, you know, almost abandoning the need for a moral compass. It's like, you don't even need to make decisions for yourself. This is how you're supposed to do it. Right. And otherwise, yeah, you'll go to hell. I mean, that's it's pretty cut and dry. Um, and then, you know, and I had to do um, Bible study group during the week. We have what we called it CCA, but we had uh-huh. to go for a couple of hours in the evening. Oh, my God, was that brutal. Uh-huh. Um, then, of course, I had to do first reconciliation, first communion, um, had to read the catechism, and had to be confirmed when I was... Uh, I don't know, 16, 17, something uh-huh. like that. Uh-huh. Which I find very strange because that's not an age where you're mentally equipped to decide the religion for the rest of your life, especially when you've only been exposed to one very specific religion. Right, <laughs> and 16 and 17-year-olds are, for the most part, not that interested in religion. I mean, they're no, interested in girls on and your sports. Mind. And, exactly, yeah. 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 Your spirituality is not a top priority typically when you're a teenager, right. you know. Do you still do you go to the Catholic church now? Um, I don't. I mean, I go when with my parents occasionally, uh-huh. especially big thing events like Easter because my brother and sister don't live here anymore. My sister is still a very strict practicing Catholic, my uh-huh. brother is not. Um, so I know for big holidays like that it means a lot to them to have me there. So for Easter, Christmas, that kind of stuff, right. I will um, occasionally if I'm visiting, you know, if I'm staying at their house for the weekend, then I'll, I'll tag along sometimes, uh-huh. but no, not, um, not any committed, I'm, I don't practice any specific religion anymore. Right. Do, right. Are you still, you know, I really, Baptist? no, I'm not still Baptist. I, uh, have been since my Baptist days, I have been a Methodist. I have been a Presbyterian and I have been an Episcopal 
And then my husband uh, is Presbyterian. So we got married in the Presbyterian church. My husband now. It's a pretty eclectic mix of Christianity-based Well, it is. And there. I think, you know what I think it was? I think I was seeking, I think I, I uh, de- denomination hopped because I was trying to figure out what was right for me. And, and what that makes sense to me. I feel yeah. like that's something people should do. Yeah. Yeah, and so what really what I really came away from all of that with was kind of an eclectic belief in religion, you know, but all the spirituality part of it, I think I got early on. And I'm really grateful for the Baptist stuff. At first, I I went through a period of having a little bit of a resentment towards them, and I'll talk about that in a little bit, but but now I don't at all. I realize that everything was really kind of preparing me for my own ability to take what I like and leave the rest. And that's what I learned to do, you know, to think, okay, well, I don't necessarily believe that so-and-so is going to go to hell because of what they're doing or whatever, and and yet it doesn't really matter what I think. I mean, it kind of is what it is, but I've become really exactly. comfortable in my own skin with that, you know. And so I, I don't, I, I really don't regret any of it. I think I needed all of it, actually. Yeah. You know? It's kind of like different relationships in your, your life with different no, people. You know, you exactly always learn right. things, and there there always be things that you like about those past no, ones. You that's know? exactly right. They're gift bearers. Yeah. Because they bring a little something that I believe that I need, you know? And then, and then I look back on it and think, oh, yeah, that was actually really good for me. Yeah. It was I really, found some wisdom there, you know? Yes, exactly right. And then, you know, after I... Um, after I well, I'll, I'll talk about this because I think it. Uh, I think that it's pertinent. Um, so my marriage, after we had been married about twenty-two years, my marriage uh, ended, and I we got a divorce. And I um, shortly before that, I had my husband and I had separated, and. I had had a meeting with uh, one of the ministers at one of the churches that I attended and went in and talked with him about getting a divorce. And he told me, he said, you cannot get a divorce if you because God hates divorce. If you pray long and hard enough, God will either get him right, whatever right was for him, or God will give you the ability to stay in that marriage. And so I left that meeting with that minister and drove around and tried to figure out how to kill myself, which was really the darkest time in my entire life. I mean, I had these three beautiful daughters, two in high school, one in middle school, and I was driving around Dallas trying to figure out how to kill myself. Well, you sought counsel in a very trying time, and basically the answer you got was, you're trapped. Yeah. You have no way out. (laughs) I did. My way out was to take my life. And I spent that day driving around, and I just could not figure out how to do it. I had, I was afraid if I took pills, I it wouldn't work, and I would be in a veg state or something really. It's a genuine concern. <laughs> very unattractive. And then if I used a gun, then you know it would be really, really messy and yeah, traumatic. Too grisly. Too grisly. So an interesting thing happened as a result of that. I have three friends, and they weren't even aware that I was that depressed. And one day they came to me, and they said, we, we want to take you to get yogurt. And I was like, okay. 
So they kind of did an emotional intervention on me and said, you know, we have walked with you for three years through this and on our, and literally we would all go on walks together and they said, and we've listened to you complain about the state that you're in and we're not going to listen to you anymore. So what we want you to do, here's a phone number and we want you to go meet with these people and let them work with you. So at that point in time, I joined a 12-step group, and that literally was the beginning of me getting better. Because what I realized... Salvation, basically. Oh, my gosh. It totally was. Because when I walked into those rooms, I realized it was really about me. And I had to look at me. Where was my dependence? Why would I not take care of myself and leave if I felt like I needed to leave? They didn't tell me to leave, but they told me that I would know what I needed to do. So that group, those friends that walked, took me out that day, literally saved my life. And it was a terrible thing because I've talked with my daughters. I mean, my daughters know all about this, that when you get into that place, the only thing you can think of is that everybody will be better. And I thought about, you know, I never thought, oh, God, it would be so terrible for my children. Which it's normal. I mean, I can't think of a circumstance where that ever would be the case, you know, that it's actually a good thing. Never, never. But people always think that from what I hear. Yes, it's true. It it really is true. So at, um, you know, so I was 40 years old. I filed for divorce. We ended up getting a divorce. My husband and I now have a, my ex-husband and I now have a, a very good relationship. And I think I've talked about it before. We see him at Easter and he came to our house on Christmas Day. And, you know, we can be around each other. But it was a very, very, very difficult time. And I, I went to therapy and one day my, my therapist said, well, what are you going to do now? And I was like, I, I don't know. He said, well, I mean, you're getting a divorce. You can't do cafeteria duty for the rest of your life. Right. Have you ever thought about going back to school? And I said, no, but I like school and I'm good at school. So maybe. And he said, I think you'd be a good therapist. And so I was like, okay. So I went back to graduate school, worked with criminal population for a while, and then um I had to uh, get like 40,000 hours. It seemed like it was actually 4,000, but it felt like 40,000. And so I worked in different, uh, I worked for a treatment center, an outpatient treatment center and all different things, and then started my private practice. So as I look back on all of that, it all just unfolded. And what I did at that time, I took all of my religious beliefs and kind of put them on the shelf and decided to come up with what I really, really believed. So I read a whole lot of books, did a lot of listening to speakers, and that helped me kind of come to my own spiritual place. So, um, you know, I I became an adult, basically. Rather than walking around trying, listening and wanting people to tell me what to believe, I decided what was going to work for me. So, you know, it was, I, I don't regret any of it. And one of the things that I would love for any listener that is, is in a place of thinking about maybe taking their life, you know, there, is, there are answers. And I, um, 
if you ever need somebody to talk to that just is encouraging and I'm not I'm not soliciting for my for my psychotherapy <laughs> practice I would meet you for yogurt yeah <laughs> and we could talk about it because there is there is an answer that is that is will help get you through those very 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 difficult times nobody's better nobody would be better from that so as a result of that, all of that, one of the things that I have come up with are some of the things that I've learned during that time, and I want you to take what you like and leave the rest. I'm not saying this is the right thing to believe. I don't have a clue. Would love to get your feedback on some of this, Kevin, because I think that that as we share our experience, strength, and hope in a situation that we may be in right now or that we have been in before, that is where our beliefs are honed. And and it's when you know what you believe, it gives you a lot of stability. It gives you a lot of confidence in who you are. And so I just want to encourage everybody to really try to search for some of that. One of the things that I really do know now is that God does not live outside of me that God, I'm an expression of God, and therefore God is in me, moving me in the individualization of the realization that I am God made manifest. So, and so is everybody else. And there was something really, really reassuring about that, that there's nobody that's any better than anybody else, that we are all the same. Now, there's that book, The Same Kind of Different as Me, Mm-hmm. about a homeless guy that it's a fascinating book. And so that was really one of the one of the main things because I always thought about the universe or God or whatever word you want to put to it as being out there. And I was out there seeking for something rather than I am an expression of that very being. You know, so and so is every other human being that walks the earth. It's kind of a difficult concept to wrap your head around though. It's very difficult. So, especially if you... It's weird to get into that per, into that perspective. It's yeah. hard to get into that perspective. Well, and, if, and what I ended up doing is when I read a whole lot of books, and I came to... What I came to see is that whether it was Buddhism or Hinduism, so many of the what they... Everybody was saying was really the same thing. Yeah. You know, we are all children of the universe or a higher power or God or whatever, again, whatever you want to call it. And so that just gave me a lot of peace because I, then I just thought, oh, okay, well, all these people that I've been thinking were wrong or and I was right or whatever, we're all just the same. We're all walking through that same path and trying to figure out where we are and what we are. Everyone is a manifestation of a higher power, basically. So- right, right. We are an expression what I believe, right. uh-huh, and a manifestation of that. So therefore, my spiritual connection is inside of me rather than outside of me. So that's part of that. When you read something, you know, and you're kind of quickened in your heart, and you're like, oh, wow, that feels really good. Mm-hmm. That's what I. That's when I think, oh, okay, well, that's God telling me or the Holy Spirit or the universe or whatever telling me, that's what you believe, so therefore that's what is. You know, because it's not, there's no exclusivity in it anymore. 
It's not like some people have it and some people don't. I think it's more like some people know they have right, it. Right, right, right. And some people don't. But everybody's got it. It's just a matter of recognizing it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. So another thing that I've really learned is to, the ability to tolerate the differences of others without judgment. Um, I absolutely do not know what others should or should not do or believe. And I, that was hard for me to give up because I would shoot, should on them and mm-hmm. then I'd should on me. Sure. And, you know, so I've come to believe that I just, I can tolerate the differences of others. Even though I'll listen to somebody and I'll think, oh, that's interesting, but I don't believe that at all. But that's okay. That's a level of enlightenment I have not reached yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Neither me or my wife, I can tell you that. You've got some years. It's hard not to. <laughs> well, I mean, everybody in... No matter even how hard you try, everybody's still on some level. It's always judging everyone else. Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of the way human beings are wired to an extent. But I feel like during times if I'm like stressed or depressed or something like that, it's way worse than it yeah. should be, you know? Like yeah. when I'm happy and just normally living, I, then I don't really I spend much time thinking about it. But Well, you know, don't you think that maybe when you're stressed or you're, you're in a down period that you're being that way about yourself? You're thinking less of yourself, exactly. Uh-huh. So, yeah, let it begin with me. So I'm going to view others in a way in which I really view me. Yes. It's an attempt to make myself feel better about my own problems. Right. Yeah. And when you're feeling low, and then a lot of times we'll try to pull ourselves up over and be better than. Yeah. You know, so I'll find myself thinking somewhat arrogantly, and I'll try really hard to bring myself back down and say, okay, they're just different. Yeah. They're not wrong. They're not right. They're just different. Right. I'm not better than anybody. (laughs) Yeah. No. Yeah. Which is, I mean, I may act better on occasion and they may act better. They may be prettier. They may be richer. They may be smarter, you know, but, but they're not any more valuable than I am. And there is a line between confidence and arrogance. Uh, It may be blurry, but it's, it's there. Yeah. Well, I think confidence has a softness about it and arrogance is, you know, look, pointing their bony finger at people and looking down their nose at them. You know, whereas... Or crude or blunt. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Right. Another thing is um, don't take life too seriously. I think that life is supposed to be fun. Someone's... Uh, I, sometimes I have to fake it until I make it, you know, because sometimes I'll get really serious about something. Like the other day when I fell, I got up and I started crying and I asked my daughter, I said, am I an old lady? <laughs> and she goes, no, Mom. If you were an old lady, you wouldn't have gotten up. <laughs> yeah, if you're an old lady, you'd be in the hospital. <laughs> but, you know, so sometimes I have to fake it until I make it. Sometimes I think, oh, gosh, I'm 68 years old. That's kind of old. And then I'm like, no, 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 no. You're as young as you feel. It's all in your head, a little bit in your body, but yeah. now it's on my eye. But, <laughs> but that will go away. But again, you just can't take those things too seriously. So I really, really, really like that. Um, I also love the concept of abundance. And I do believe that abundance is God's plan for us. I think that includes money. I think it includes joy. I think it includes a good relationship. And I think that that a lot of times what we'll do with that is is be presumptuous of God or of the Holy Spirit or of the universe by thinking, I deserve to experience abundance. I know we talked about that just a couple of weeks ago. 
And, um, you know, trying to, I talk about it in my book, I say, you know, trying to get everything for a bargain creates kind of a irrefutable and insurmountable poverty complex. And I think that we, that there's plenty to go around. And so I think we want to spread it around. It's, I love the saying, it's kind of like manure. It doesn't do any good if you don't spread it around (laughs) money. So, and I think that, I think that it's okay for people to want money. I think sometimes we think, oh, that's so selfish or, oh, money and God should not be spoken about in the same sentence. But I do believe that's God's plan for us is uh, a life of abundance. So I really try to practice that. One of the things that I did after I got my divorce, it was kind of interesting because I had never gotten my own insurance, bought my own car, done all of those things. And I would sit down to pay my bills and by check then. And I would get, I would my money fears would be triggered a little bit. I still use checks, by the way. Yo, oh, you do? Good. Yeah. I have a checkbook. <laughs> I like having physical stuff, copies of stuff. <laughs> so... So sometimes when I would sit down to write, uh, to pay my bills, I would get scared because I was thinking, oh my gosh, all this money is going out. Yeah, it's daunting. It is very daunting. And then what I started doing was saying, thank you, God, for the ability to write this check. Thank you for today that I have enough money in that. And so what I learned from that was that gratitude is really, I think, the way we get more, more of everything more love, more security, more joy by being grateful for it. And I know we've talked about that too. And Tova's talked a lot about, I think she's so great about gratitude. And I think that that's really important. And I think it's okay for us to put money in that category. So. Um, I agree. You do? Absolutely. Yeah. Did, well, how, what were your money issues? Did your, how were your parents about money? Um, we were, I mean, we were always a pretty upper middle class family. We never had any, never, I never really had to worry about anything. So, so they weren't worried about it. There were times when, yeah, you could tell there were, you know, ups and downs occasionally. Yeah. Um, my dad would never say anything about it, but my mom would say, Uh you know, and that's how we would know. So do you get scared about money? Oh, all the time. You do? Yes. And then, it's like the, during the times that are real good and like everything's comfortable and you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. You don't take advantage of those times. You don't you just don't think about it. It's just yeah. all of a sudden during that time life's easier. And then all of a sudden when it gets harder, then that's like all you think about. Yeah. Yeah. But, How old are you? Uh 35. Yeah. Yeah, I think it I think that that's a lot part of the age too, you know, cuz you're trying to build a net worth. I mean, yes. you're you're having your own business. I mean, that's not easy. And yeah, I mean, it's, it can be really scary. And I don't, I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't regret it at all. I can tell you the highest paying jobs I ever had are hands down the most unhappy I ever was. Really? Really? Um, Yeah. And I'm not saying that I do poorly now, but yes, of course, like you said, there is a lot of stress and a lot of expenses that go with. But how uh, fabulous that you realize that and said, it's not worth it. No, not at me. all. I say to Elise all the time that the best lesson I've learned in my entire life is quality of life over money every single time. So smart. No, no question. So, so, so smart. Was she scared? Every time when... I get in, you know, influenced by or I, I take a job because I'm like, I couldn't turn it down. The money was too good. I, I end up miserable. Yeah. Yeah. I will do that if I overwork and I think, oh, well, I might as well see. I might as well get in some extra people in and all of that. And, and I know my limit. And if I push myself and go over that, I'm not happy. 
But at your age, for you to know that, it's spectacular. Yeah, that's the best, most valuable life lesson I've, I have learned. Because you started your business before you guys got married, right? Uh, correct, yeah. Yeah. So how long have you been doing it? Uh, three years. That's so good. And it's been good the whole time, but lately I've been seeing this huge boom, which is great, but I'm like, I just expected that to happen three years ago, you know? Yeah. People always think, oh, I'm going to open up the doors and it's going to explode. Yeah. But, you know, it does take a little while. Yeah. Oh, of course. And you never know when it's going to happen. Of course. I would go to my office when I first started my private practice and just sit there and stare at the phone. I'd pick it up and there was no, you know, how the, if there was a message, it would kind of skip a beep. Yeah. And I would listen and it was a solid tone and I would think, oh gosh, and I would just sit there. And I just kept thinking, I got to suit up and show up, and then it'll happen. And it does. Yeah. Another thing, you know, that I've learned, Kevin, is to learn how to mind my own business. And um, one of the things that I really do is practice the hula hoop mentality, that if it's outside of my hula hoop, I picture a hula hoop around my body. And if it's outside of my hula hoop, it's not my business, even if it's my adult children or my husband, it's not mine to worry about. So I try to mind in my brain, in my mind, what I can do something about. And if it's outside of me, it doesn't mean I don't care, but I need to keep my mind on me. Because what happens to me sometimes, if I care too much, I want to fix it. And my family doesn't always want me to fix it. You know, if if they're struggling with something, then, you know, I try really hard not to give them answers. My youngest daughter told me the other day, she said, Mom, I don't want you to solve this for me. I just want you to listen to me. And I was like, oh, okay. So I really am trying to work on that to keep myself separate from others and still love them, but not try to take their stuff on and try to fix it. Because, again, it goes back to the other one. I don't know what people should do. Yeah. I really don't. I don't know what's right. That's hard being a parent, I would assume, oh though, my to, gosh, it's to ever so make hard. to separate that. I mean, that's it, just instinct. It is so difficult. But, you know, my children are very self-sufficient, and they're smart, and they will know. Yeah. They will know what they need to know when they need to know it, and I don't have to be their person that's going to tell them that. Inevitably, they will make the right decision. Yeah. Know. And if not, they'll change their mind and do something else. Yeah. I always say... Eventually, it will turn into the right decision. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that's what I always say. I don't think there's a right or wrong. I think there's a right. And then if there's something doesn't work, it will form the right. You know? So then you're not hung up on, oh, is this the right decision? I'm like, well, it doesn't really matter. If it's not a life or death issue, then it really doesn't matter. So I try to mind my own business and because I've, I've known a lot of parents, people my age, that really get in the big fat middle of their children's lives and it, it does not turn out well, you know. So And it, and it makes their life, if, if I'm overthinking what my children, what's going on in my children's life, then I miss the joy of my own life. Yes, definitely. You know? It can, and it's enabling for both of them. I mean, there can be... Kids who get overly dependent on that. They yes. crave that, you know? Yes, yes, yes. So um, 
I, I love the saying, live and let live and remember to forgive, which is really great because I think forgiveness is the thing that sets us free from the issues of the past and the people of the past. And even if I don't agree with them, or even if I don't particularly like them, if I can forgive them, I am forgiving them away and they're not lodged in my mind. You know, I said, I have to, I don't want people living rent free in my mind. Yeah. You know, and fretting over that. Um, I've said this to Tova a bunch of times on the show. One thing I'm really good at is forgiveness from when someone is sorry. When someone's not like Tova tells, like, says you have to forgive people for things in your past (laughs) life, even if they're not sorry. And I'm like, that is like impossible for me (laughs) to let it go if I never got an apology or or anything, you know? So you're letting them live rent free in your brain. Exactly. (laughs) 100%. (laughs) Well, you might change your mind about that. I hope so. Uh, I love the I love the two words be kind because I think that always gives me a format for my behavior. I've learned that, um, and then practice not perfection. And on all of these things, I practice try to practice it without holding myself to a perfectionistic standard because I can't do it perfectly because I'm human, you know, and I'm perfectly imperfect. So, uh, in order to do that, I think that. Probably the most important thing is to thine own self be true, you know, to try to figure out who am I and then be that, you know, what's my value system? What do I believe? What do I want? What do I think? And then I'm able to practice that what you think about me is not any of my business. I can think about what's right for me and live from that. And then I will be able to know myself because I, I spent really 42 years trying to be what I thought everybody else needed me to be. And that was a mistake because I was tap dancing around trying to people please all the time. And I never, until I got my divorce, I didn't really know who I was. I didn't really know what I liked. You'd never really had the chance. No, I hadn't. I was too busy trying to be Little Miss Perfect. I was a miserable failure at that because I couldn't, I can't do it. No. You know? It doesn't exist. No, it doesn't exist. Another thing is I don't believe it's, it's, I, I don't think it's possible to love ourselves too much. I think that arrogance comes from a self-loathing position. So I feel less than, and then I'm trying to get better than. So love, love, love yourself. As, as Ter- I think it was Terrell Owen, the football player, said, I love me some me, you know, and I love that statement. I think it's awesome. So we can't overlove, and we cannot overlove other people. Our children, you cannot spoil your children with love. They're, it's impossible. So I love that, and also don't shit on yourself. You know, oh, I should be doing this. I shouldn't be doing that. I should be this, should be that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Very familiar with that. Yeah. Ask for what you want and and ask it over and over again. You know, uh, I love this. I read this actually this morning in one of my devotional books. Uh, Steve Jobs said, every, every day for the past 33 years, I've looked in the mirror and asked myself, if this were the last day of my life, would I, would I want to do what I'm about to do today? If the answer is no for too many days in a row, then you need to change something. 
Isn't that great? That's pretty profound. I know. But I'm thinking about it because I love coming in and doing shows. But if I knew it was my last day, I might be on a beach somewhere, you know. Yeah. So, but if you did that every day, would you want to go to the beach every day? No. Yeah. It wouldn't be a treat anymore. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's can. true. That's okay. That's I was looking at it the wrong way. Yeah. Unless you want to be in a tent. <laughs> well, no. Although at the beach, the beach where we went to last week, the this guy was setting up our beach chairs, and that was his job. He worked for a company, and they line up all these beach chairs on the beach. And I was like, "Do you like your job?" And he goes, yeah, "I love it. It is the best job ever." So I thought, "Well, that's good." You know what? Yeah, that's that could be fun. Definitely. You if know? you're in an awesome, I thought about that. Like. My buddy, when we were totally aimless and rudderless in life, saying something like, let's just go to the Bahamas and like be homeless or something. Even if you get to live on the street, at least you're in the Bahamas every day, you know? That's right. But I don't know why anybody would be homeless. Not comparing the umbrella job to homeless, but you know what I mean. (laughs) Yeah. No. I can see that'd be a great gig. Yeah, wouldn't it? You're always getting tan. You'd probably stay in good shape. I mean, it's heavy putting those up and down all day. Yeah. And you're in paradise. Exactly. Exactly. A bunch of people walking around in bathing suits. Yeah. It's a good gig. (laughs) It is a good gig. I might get tired of it eventually, but. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. It's probably not going to have a good retirement plan. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think so. I think he was probably. Wait, I asked him how old he was. I think he said 43 or something. Oh, really? That's definitely older than I was expecting. Yeah. Yeah, but I think he makes pretty good money. Yeah. So yeah, there's always a it's always a possibility. There's for something you, for everyone. Though. Yeah, I'll th- I mean. So what are your greatest lessons? Oh boy, I don't know. Let me. I'll have to think about that when I come get back to you guys. Yeah. Definitely the um, quality of life over money thing. Yeah. For sure. Man, I'll never make that mistake again. That's so awesome. If you hold on to that. You will be a happy man. And I've done it several times. That's so good. Um, That's so good. The only other thing I have to say is uh, remember, girls, when you turn 55 uh, or even maybe 60, don't look at yourself in the mirror, your naked rear in the mirror, ever. (laughs) 